This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. And when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now it was evening. The disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven and blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. And immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Earlier this week, I was listening to family radio and I heard a story that served in part to inspire this message. I'll paraphrase it, but in essence, the story was that there was this single mother that was raising two sons with little to no money. She was so poor that she could barely afford anything to eat, and during the Thanksgiving holiday, they were looking forward to sharing one of two cans of tuna between the three of them. As part of their tradition, this family would attend a pre-Thanksgiving church service, and during the service, the pastor talked about a family that had nothing at all to eat during Thanksgiving, and everyone was asked to make a contribution so that the church could present this family with a blessing of a meal. As the pastor spoke, one of the woman's children whispered to the other, wow, there are people that are worse off than we are. The mother's heart was broken, and when she got home, they decided they would make a donation to the church of the other can of tuna because of that needy family. On Thanksgiving Day, there was a knock on the door, and when one of her sons opened the door, he shouted, Mom, it's the people from the church. And when she let the people in, they came in with bags and bags of food that the church had donated. You see, the woman and her children were the family that the pastor was talking about that was in need. And after they left, she looked into the bags and found the same can of tuna that she had donated to the church. And tears filled her eyes. I like the story because whether the mother had purpose in her heart to make a donation to the church or not did not change the fact that the plan for her relief was already in the mind of God. But the lesson here is that there will always be difficulties in our lives, no matter what they look like. There will always be difficulties in our lives, but God will still get his work 
done. So on this missionary and YPD annual day, and with the story somewhat as a backdrop, I want to speak a message today about obstacles that appear insurmountable to overcome, depending on how we see them. And I've therefore titled the sermon quite simply, There Will Be Mountains. There will be mountains. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. We have so many mountains to overcome, so many mountains to climb. Amen. And even after we get over one mountain, it seems another one comes up again. Yes, but Father, we can thank you for the mountains in the very same way that we can thank you for the valleys. For as long as we're climbing mountains and going through valleys, we are still on the move and we will make it to our expected end. So we thank you, Lord. Preach now, preach. Yes. Preach to the preacher. For no one came to hear me. They came to hear thee. Bless this time now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Perspective matters. How you see something has a lot to do with how you understand something. And it's fascinating how different people can see the same thing and still come away with different understandings. Well, Perspective matters. Yeah. Let me give you an example. And in a hospital room, there are generally two beds. Bed A and bed B with two different patients. So... Here's the scenario. In bed A is a black person. In bed B is a white person. Both people are crying out because they are thirsty. So a white nurse comes in and she gives some water to the person, the white person in bed B, but didn't give any water to the black person in bed A. Naturally, person in bed A is screaming and crying, favoritism, racism, all kinds of isms. And a chaplain comes into the room and is feeling this pressure and is told a story and the chaplain goes, that is wrong and outrageous. This is a clear cut example of discrimination. The chaplain goes, it's not me, it's not the true story, <laughs> and goes to advocate for the patient in bed A because the patient in bed A seemed to have been discriminated against. Only to find out that the reason why a person in bed A didn't get any water was because person in bed A was being prepared for surgery and did not and could not have any fluids. Now certainly the nurse could have mentioned that, but here's my point, perspective matters. Because very often when we hear a story based on how we understand our own experience, we have a tendency to believe that what we are being told is exactly as it really is. Perspective matters. Amen. So turning to our text, we find one of Jesus' most memorable miracles. The text tells us that after Jesus found out about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, he got in a boat, went off to find a secluded place by himself, no doubt to grieve the loss of John. But a large crowd found out about his plan, and as soon as he got off the boat, there they were waiting for Jesus. Now let me pause here for a moment and say this. Jesus was fond of John the Baptist, and when he found out that John was killed, he needed to grieve. 
But the people did not care. They only cared that they were hurting. They didn't care if Jesus was hurting. They didn't care if he was in sorrow. They didn't care if he needed time. All they cared about was Jesus was coming, and because he was coming, they could get something from him. You see, their perspective was a whole lot different from Jesus' perspective. But the amazing thing is that while Jesus needed to find a secluded place to grieve, the text tells us that when he came ashore and he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. Jesus became a wounded healer, which he never stopped being even when he hung on the cross. Now as evening came, I can imagine Jesus spending a really long time healing and caring and loving this great multitude of people. So it is no wonder that the disciples would come to him in their exhaustion and ask him to send the people away to the villages to buy food for themselves. For, for, for from the disciples' perspective, the crowd of people had a material need that they could not meet. The disciples saw an insurmountable mountain. So just like the poor woman with the two children who had a material need for food, her perspective also at the time appeared to be an insurmountable mountain. She could easily, I think, could have been one of Jesus' disciples in the moment because she saw the same thing they saw. But Jesus said to the disciples, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. Here Jesus was challenging the disciples by testing their faith. And because their perspective was an insurmountable mountain, they could only respond by saying, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. Well. Now without rehashing the whole story, Jesus would eventually perform one of his most amazing miracles by feeding 5,000 men besides women and children, which means it's really the feeding of the more than 5,000. But he, he asks for two, five loaves and two fish. Now the miracle itself points to the fact that while faith recognizes the poverty of human need, it also provides an opportunity for the greatness of God to be demonstrated. Yeah. For the simple fact is, unlike the disciples and the poor single mother, Jesus' perspective in any situation, no matter how insurmountable it may appear, is not based on what you do not have, but on what you do have. Perspective matters. Yeah. Maybe the insurmountable mountains that you face in your life may not be so insurmountable after all if you would simply change your perspective. But the most curious part of the story comes after Jesus had sent the crowds away. The text then tells us that he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Remember, Jesus did not have an opportunity to grieve the death of his cousin John. But after prioritizing the needs of the people over his own, he now had a chance to continue what he needed for himself. So Jesus went to a mountain to pray. 
Now the Bible makes numerous references to mountains. So much so that as Christians, whenever we talk about mountains in the church, very often we see them as obstacles to overcome. And by being mountains, they, unlike hills, appear insurmountable. But allow me to remind you that it was on a mountain that Noah's ark rested after the flood. It was on a mountain that Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. It was on a mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments. It was on a mountain that Moses saw the promised land. It was from a mountain that Elijah called down fire from the heavens. It was on a mountain that Satan failed to tempt Jesus. It was on a mountain that Jesus was transfigured. It was on a mountain that Jesus preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It was on a mountain that Jesus would go often to pray. And it was on, and it's on a mountain called Zion that we will find the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where there we will see thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So essentially, and what I want you to know this morning as you consider your own perspectives, that mountains can be represented in many different ways. And if we understand the mountain that we are facing, then it can go a far way in how we live on that mountain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so with the time I have remaining, I want us to consider three types of mountains. Yeah. The suffering mountain, mm. the dying mountain, mm. and the rejoicing mountain. Three different mountains I want to bring to your awareness this morning. The suffering mountain, the dying mountain, and the rejoicing mountain. As I stated earlier, perspective matters. So in a similar way, the idea of suffering can be different depending on a person's mentality or even the condition that they live in. People with adequate living arrangements and living environments can often complain that they are eating the same type of food every single day. Meanwhile, another person would be glad to eat any kind of food Amen. any day. Amen. Suffering is different for different people, depending on your perspective and your understanding of it. And because of this, it is unfair to expect that everyone who claims to be suffering has to suffer in the way that you think they should. But when you are suffering, to you, that is a mountain. And depending on what your issue might be, it might just be a really big and insurmountable mountain. The suffering mountain may also be your hold on unforgiveness, anger, issues of abandonment and neglect, physical and emotional abuse from a relative or friend that has brought on trauma that you can't seem to let go of or even a terminal illness that is inevitable. Everyone's got a different kind of mountain and everybody's mountain is doing things based on their lives and their experiences, where they have been and what has been done to them. Everybody's mountain is different and to make matters worse, you have prayed, you have asked, you have even pleaded, you have begged God to help you move this mountain of suffering that seems to be blocking out any kind of light of God's grace and you're just getting yourself stuck in the shadow and wondering why me you're exhausted and you are worried you are in despair 
and you are sick. But God says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So brothers and sisters, keep in mind that your suffering is not because God doesn't care or because God doesn't love you, nor is it any kind of punishment from God. For Satan would love for you to believe that, for he seeks to sift you like wheat. But we have prayed that your faith will not fail. God always works for your good, but it takes faith to get over your suffering mountain. Secondly, we have the dying mountain. Yeah. Many of you, no doubt, have probably heard the phrase, a mountain I'm willing to die on. You know people say that, right? This is not a mountain I'm willing to die on. You've, you've heard the term, right? The term is used to refer to which battle you will choose to fight versus which one you will not. It is a measure of what is most important to you, and it speaks of your value system. If something is not important to you, then it's not a mountain you're willing to die on. But if it's something that is important, then that is something that we now have called, or I have called, your dying mountain. What it is that you're willing to die on for yourself. A dying mountain, from my perspective, is all about a commitment to something so much greater than yourself. It is an acknowledgement that, that the cause for which you exist far outweighs any personal concern that you may have and as such you're willing to lay down your life for it. The safety and the welfare of my family is a mountain that I am willing to die on. But also get this and this may shock you and you may not believe it but my faith in the cause of Christ is also a mountain that I am willing to die on. Now I know you may be thinking what? Well the truth is that's what I signed up for when I became a pastor. But make no mistake about it. Let's be clear. Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to. And I ain't harboring no messianic complex. Right? I can't die for you. No matter how willing I may be. But I don't have to. Because he did it already for me. But the simple point is that a dying mountain is about your commitment and your willingness to honor your integrity and to make your deeds match your words. Finally, we have the rejoicing mountain. In the book of Isaiah, the 49th chapter and the 13th verse, here's what it says. Shout for joy, O heavens. O rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Yeah. Furthermore, we find the compliment in Isaiah, the 55, 55th chapter, verse 11 through 12. And I love these verses. They are phenomenal and they're awesome. You, you know, y'all should really enjoy the Bible when you read it. This is what it says. So shall my word. Oh my gosh, listen to this carefully. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace
peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Hallelujah. The simple interpretation here is one of success and victory in overcoming and achieving major accomplishments. That's why we celebrated Camille in our prayer today. You see, it's an affirmation that what God intended will come to pass even, even the mountains will break out into joyful singing. It harkens back to the point that even the rocks will cry out. So the takeaway here, brothers and sisters, is simply that when you look back over your life and you begin to think things over, you can truly say, hold it, you can truly say that there will always be mountains. There will be suffering mountains. There will be dying mountains. But there will be rejoicing mountains. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, if you live long enough, there will be mountains. And depending on your perspective, you will need to know which mountain you are on. But, 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 but what does any of this have to do with our text, Pastor? What does all this mountain talk have to do with our text? Well, let's revisit verse 23 in Matthew 14. Here's what it says. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed this or not, but like I said, Jesus never got the chance to grieve the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. Remember, after he had heard about the death, he got into a boat, found a secluded place. The crowd followed him. Then, with his compassion, he healed them all the way into the evening to the point where the disciples wanted to send the people away to find food. Then he performed a great miracle, feeding the 5,000 plus. And not until after everyone got what they wanted and was sent away that Jesus could go up to the mountain by himself alone to pray he was alone and now jesus could grieve how do you hear this church are you the kind of person that would lay aside your own grief for the benefit of others now i'm not asking you to be jesus i'm just asking you to think or are you the kind that want others despite their own needs to have to cater to you as you wallow in your own self-pity I can't answer that for you. For what we clearly see here is an aspect of Jesus' selfless commitment to the cause for which he came. But it doesn't end there on that mountain where he prayed alone. For you see, the anguish of Jesus we see on the Mount of Olives as he anticipated his suffering and death. Although Jesus pleaded earnestly with his father, take this mountain away, it remained. So Jesus willingly went up that mountain for your sake and mine. Secondly, we see his brutal execution and crucifixion on a hill called Calvary. There on that mount, Jesus proved his love for us on a cross, he endured the deep darkness for our sins. 
took on the punishment while the father turned his face from him. Jesus was on his dying mountain. And then finally, we see the joy of reunion when Jesus meets his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. Jesus suffered on the Mount of Olives. Jesus died on Calvary. But because of the resurrection, Jesus rejoiced on a mountain in Galilee. So there will always be mountains. And these mountains we have aren't there because our God is distant and uncaring. For we have seen his radical love for us through his own suffering on our behalf. So God's ultimate purpose in Jesus' suffering was for our freedom forever from sin. Yet, despite all of our troubles, yours and mine, all of our hurts, all of our pain, God is working all things together for our good and for his glory. So, what will you make of your mountains today? Will your mountain be a mountain that you're suffering on? Will it be a mountain that you die on? Or will it be a mountain that you rejoice on? For whatever mountain you find yourself on today, do know that there will always be mountains. But if you let Jesus help you today, he will help you find the right mountain you need. Amen? Amen? May God richly, richly bless you, my beloved.